Well, beginning of a new year, first Sunday in 2020, and so I've taken the opportunity of bagsing the first cliche of the year. And so this series is called 2020 Vision. And because I'm using it first, it's not a cliche. It'll be a cliche by the time February comes. But just at the moment, I reckon I'm free to use that. Who here is into New Year's resolutions? Put up here. You don't have to tell me what they are. Who's made a New Year's resolution? Oh, Val's, Val's got a hand up. Thank you, Val. No, we're not into that. I, I have done it in the past. I don't do it at present. But it can be very helpful. You know, we, we've got a clean diary. We're starting again. We can have a look and think, what would I like to do differently this year to what I did last year? What can, we, what can I do that's different in 2020 that's different to 2019? And so we, we make resolutions to do more exercise, to eat less rubbish, to watch less rubbish, to read a bit more. There's all sorts of things we can do. But to do that, we've got to have... We've got to have a standard. We've got to have something that we're aiming at. And it's good also to set down specific things to work towards that. Yeah, uh, I'll read one book a week for the year and tick it off somewhere. And that e makes it easier to, to stick to it and to get the benefits from it and not just let it fade away. But we have, first of all, we have to have the, the target, the losing weight or, or, or exercising more or whatever it is. And that can be very good. But I'm wondering, perhaps we should have resolutions for the church. What's our ambition for 2020 for this church? What would we like to do differently this year to what we did last year? How can we improve things? Well, first of all, we have to have an idea of where we're going. How do we measure a church? What is a good, mature church look like? Is it one with hundreds, thousands of people? Maybe. That can be good. Then again, Adolf Hitler and Chairman Mao were very good at getting numbers, but that's not a good thing. So it can be good, but there's nothing to say that a big church is necessarily any better than a small church. Or maybe it's a big budget, having lots and lots of money. To, you know, that shows that you're really there. You've really arrived if you've got a really big budget. Big numbers for the treasurer to look at. I mean, big black numbers, not big red numbers. But then, maybe that's not how God looks at things. Maybe it's, if, if everything runs very smoothly, 
Everything that needs to be done, someone is assigned to it and they do it and they do it on time and everything runs really smoothly. Or maybe it's the buildings. Maybe the big cathedrals are better than the little tin sheds or wooden sheds that people use as churches. Or maybe it's, maybe it's gifts. Yes, the church got lots of gifted people and they're always using those gifts. Maybe that's the measure of a church. Actually, we find out later in the series in the New Testament that the church that had the most gifts was the least mature church in the New Testament. So, is there something in the Bible that says, how does God look at things? How does God measure up a church? Well, there is. And we're going to have a look at the, the beginning of some letters that Paul wrote to churches. And I'll, I'll get you to keep an, uh, an ear out, or if you're really keen, two ears, to see what is in common in each of these readings. And we, we don't, generally don't notice it because it's at the beginning of the letter when Paul's saying, hi, how are you doing? We're going to have a look at the, the beginning of some letters that Paul wrote. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't expecting. Okay. Okay, the first one's from Ephesians, chapter 1, verse, verses 15 to 16. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who is rich and glorious inheritance. And then from Colossians, beginning of Colossians. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And from 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work your loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Writings and again a bit later. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships that you are suffering. All right, who can tell me what those four passages have in common? Mark. Faith, yes. Hope. 
love, faith, hope and love. When God looks at a, a church, that's how he measures things up. By the faith, the hope and the love. And it's not a case of adding together the individuals. I say, okay, faith, uh, three points plus six points plus eight points. I'm pointing at empty chairs here. So don't, Jackie, don't lean over into the eight that's next door to you. <laughs> that's not it. All of these things are important to us as individuals, but when we come together, God does something special as we grow in faith and hope and love. You know, um, <clears throat> if we show faith or hope or love, people around us, they look at us and they think, oh, he's a top bloke, or she's a wonderful woman. But when a church shows faith or hope or love, then people outside say, huh, where does that come from? Why are those people like that? There must be something in it. Jesus said, they will know we are Christians by our love. And talking about hope, Paul said, always be prepared to give an explanation of the hope that you have when people ask you. When people ask you. Because if a church is shining with hope, those people who are without hope will be drawn towards it. They will see it. As a church, God does something special. And he wants us to grow in faith and hope and love. I've called this 2020 vision. Oh, good, it's up there. I can't see it from here. And we think of that, I was at the optometrist on Thursday. We think of that as having perfect sight. But actually, um, I don't know how they measure it, but that's good sight. You can have better than 2020 vision. And it's God's will for us as a church that we keep on growing. We keep flourishing. We have more love, more faith, more hope. You never get to the point where we're full up and we've done enough. God always leads us into more and more. Conversely, we can slip. The Ephesians one, you see, it, it uh, complimented them on their faith and their love. And they said, you do need to work on your hope. But that's not the last time we hear of the Ephesian church because John wrote to them 35 years later and they still had the faith but they didn't have hope and they didn't have love. You see, it, it's, not, we, it's not that we can pick and choose one or the other out of the three. God wants us to have the whole three. And they're connected. We'll see that during the, the term. But hope is connected to faith 
and love is connected to the two of them. You can't have one without the other. So if that's our target for 2020, to grow in faith and hope and love as a church, how do we get there? How do we get there? We want to mature as a church. Here's a passage about the church in Jerusalem and we'll see how they went about maturing. Chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So how did they go about growing, maturing as a church? Well, first of all, they had vital learning experiences with the word of God. If we're to grow in faith and then with hope and love, we have to know God better. We have to read his word. Let him speak to us and let him change our lives. That's why we have a talk each Sunday. That's why we have the, the life groups during the week. You know the life groups? Living in faith every day. Where we study God's word. We develop our relationship with him and we put it into practice. Secondly, they had vital relational experiences with God and with each other. Okay, what the... Often we'll concentrate on our personal relationship with God, and that's good, but we have to do things together. You can't really love anyone if you're a hermit living in a cave. It's, it's, it's impossible. You have to be in a relationship to love. Can't do it otherwise. And God wants us together so that we can support each other, teach each other. This church did a number of things. They ate together. We've got Ray and, and Gay have set up morning tea. Morning tea isn't something that happens after the service. It's part of the service. It's part of being a church, having morning tea together. And it's part of it, 
part of being a church when we get together for other meals, when we share what's happening in our lives, when we're together, when we commit ourselves to each other. They prayed together. They shared their belongings. That still goes on. It happened um, in my case many years ago. Um, we're, we're all right now, but when the children were young, we were very poor. And the only reason we could buy shoes for the kids was that someone from Bible study put an envelope with some money in it under the door. Now, I'm not in that situation now. But there are people in our congregation who are in need. And I know there are people who are meeting that need and they are sharing their vehicle, they are sharing their time, they're helping people move or, or, or put things in storage. That's part of being a church. That's part of growing in faith and hope and love. They praise together. It's nice to, when you're by yourself, to, to sing. And you don't have to worry about how good you are at it. But it's a different dimension entirely when everyone is together and they're singing the same things. They're praising God. Very much, let's use another cliche singing from the same hymn, hymn sheet. Everyone is joined together in purpose, in praising God, together. And the last point there is vital witnessing, to tell people outside what God has done in your life and what he will do in theirs. But, you know, that's almost like a side effect because the important part of the vital witnessing is that we know what we have to say. So that's where the vital relationship with the word of God comes in. We understand what we believe so that we can say it. And the other is the fact that we as a church are together are unified, are growing in faith and hope and love, that makes people come to us and to look. It gives us credibility. It, it makes people want to know what the gospel is, what the truth is, the good news of Jesus working in our lives. So that's my 2020 vision. If we just want to have a look at the diagram I've done, I hope this is a, a benefit to you. I enjoyed doing it. We've got the green circle, that's us. We've got the purple arrow is faith, the blue is hope, and the pink is love. So upwards, inwards, and outwards. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourself, the way we look at ourselves, that's hope, 
and our relationship with others. My 2020 vision, that we will grow in faith and hope and love as a church this year. I hope it's yours as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here as a church. We ask that together this year, we may grow in our relationship with you, our relationship with ourself, and our relationship with others. That the faith, hope, and love shown by us here will attract others to you. Amen.